0: Welcome to episode 21 of the RSA Resident and Student podcast series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible, collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Amy Ho, resident at the University of Chicago and a former vice president of RSA, speaks with Dr. Lisa Morena Walton, professor of emergency medicine at Louisiana State University and secretary treasurer of AAEM. Today, Drs. Ho and Morena Walton discuss unconscious bias and how it affects emergency physicians.
1: Hi, my name is Amy Ho. I am a resident physician at University of Chicago and also the RSA vice president and chair of the wellness committee, and I'm very, very Delighted to be sitting here right now with Dr. Lisa Moreno-Walton, who is a professor of emergency medicine at Louisiana State University and also the sitting secretary-treasurer on the board of directors for AAEM. She has a lot of wonderful publications and interests primarily around healthcare disparities and HIV and trauma, and we are, again, blessed to be talking to her today about unconscious biases. Mm -hmm. So this was a relatively new term to me, actually. And as an expert, can you open up by saying, what is unconscious bias and why is it important for us and especially residents to be aware Mm -hmm. of it? So unconscious bias
2: is your automatic response to a person, obviously, without thinking consciously about it, right? So this has a lot to do with who we are and how we are raised. We know now from doing research on the human brain that people actually within a second recognize tribe versus non-tribe. So you look at a person and there are actually changes that take place in the human brain that indicate that in the initial second, you're actually either identifying them as same or tribe or identifying them as non-tribe. So we relate to whether someone is familiar to us or not. And I'll tell you about a remarkable study that was done in 2009 that I almost always talk about when I discuss unconscious bias. And I'm going to be talking about it today at my my cultural competency (laughs) session at AAM. There was a study done in 2009 and ended up being published or talked about and came into the public mind through Newsweek magazine. And they had this big, big title page that said, Is Your Baby Racist? And what the study was, they put a bunch of children at several different study sites, they put a bunch of children into a huge room, and the children had to be mobile so that they could move around in the room and interact with each other. And they had some adults there to make sure that, you know, no kid clobbered another kid with a block (laughs) or something like that. But mostly, they kind of just let the kids wander on their own. And after a set period of time, They stopped the clock, and they looked at how the children had self-segregated into different groups. And indeed, the children had self-segregated. And they had self-segregated by race. And the children who did not self-segregate by race were only two classes of children, and those were, at that particular time that the study was done, there were a huge number of Asian children that had been adopted by American parents. And so the children, the Asian children who had been adopted by American parents moved comfortably between the Asian group and the group that looked like their parents, whatever their parents were. And the children that were children of mixed marriages, mixed racial marriages, moved comfortably through the racial groups that represented the racial groups of their parents. And so what does this tell us? It tells us that very early in life, we like and find comfort in being among what's familiar to us. You're comfortable with what you grew up with. You're comfortable with what's familiar to you. You're comfortable with the look and the smell and the taste of your parents' bodies, right? And so this is what makes it so important to recognize that we have unconscious bias and also to not be defensive about it because so many people when you say to them oh you have unconscious bias will get up in arms and say no I'm not I don't see color I don't see race I'm I'm a I'm a liberal person I'm an accepting person I'm a non-judgmental person no you're a human person you're a human <laughs> being you have unconscious bias I have unconscious bias every human being has unconscious bias it's not a bad thing it's just a thing it exists just like you know all of us have a heart and lungs and skin. We all have unconscious bias. But when you recognize what your unconscious bias is, then you can behave fairly towards all people because that's what we want, right? We, that's, that's our better self. We want to be fair. So if we admit our unconscious bias and we know what our unconscious bias is, then we can work around our unconscious bias and we can be fair to all people.
1: Yeah. And that is so important in emergency medicine because we see all comers. Mm -hmm. So your patients and you are never going to be the same person and always never even from the same like cultural backgrounds Mm -hmm. or racial backgrounds or upbringings. But I guess clinically and professionally, can you provide some examples of how unconscious bias can affect our clinical care of our patients? Absolutely. So when you walk into a room
2: and you look at a patient, you're already starting to make some decisions about them. And some of them are clinical. If they're writhing around on the bed, right? We teach (laughs) you, you're supposed to think about kidney stones, right? But uh, does the patient look sick, not sick? Does the patient look toxic, septic? But you also make certain decisions about the patient. If the patient is sitting there and their clothes are filthy and they're unshaven, if they're a guy, and their hair is matted and they stink, and they have a couple bags on the side of the bed, you've made a decision that's a homeless person. And you have certain attitudes about homeless people that are based on your experience of taking care of homeless patients. Similarly, you know, depending on how you grew up, you may have certain other unconscious bias about certain races, certain religions. You walk in and you see a woman in a hijab, You're going to assume, I bet you money, you are going to assume that she's going to want a female doctor because this is how you have been, based on your experience, approaching female Muslim patients. The same way that you may walk into a room and you may see an African-American young male wearing gang color and having a lot of tattoos and you're going to make some assumptions about this person. You may, without even thinking, assume if he's got gang colors on, he's a gang member. If he's got tattoos, he maybe was in jail. He probably is low health literacy. He probably doesn't take good care of himself. I bet he also uses drugs. So these are all assumptions that you make before you even start to consciously think about it. You've made some decisions about this patient. Now, if you walk into the room and, for example, you're a Caucasian guy. Who's wearing a tie and his white coat and is clean shaven and looks very neat and well cared for? The patient is going to say, This guy grew up in a world of privilege. Both of his parents were probably doctors or lawyers or something like that. He knew he was going to go to college from the day he was born. Everything's been handed to him. He has no idea what life in the street is like. He doesn't know what it's like to have to really work for a living. He doesn't know what it's like to have to struggle. He doesn't know what it's like to pay rent because his mom and dad are probably paying his rent. Now, this, both of these people could be completely wrong about each other. But these are the assumptions that we make when we walk into a room and we see somebody. We are taught the same way that we're taught in medicine to look, you know, okay, this person is jaundiced and has a swollen abdomen. They probably have ascites. They probably have some kind of a liver disorder. We do the same thing when we approach people from a cultural standpoint. The problem is, if you're getting it wrong, then you're not giving the patient permission to be who they are. If you don't give the patient permission to be who they are, they can't tell you the truth about them. Do they do drugs? Are they homeless? You know, what is their struggle? What is their social situation that impacts on their health care? You don't give them permission to tell you that if you have an attitude of judgment that they sense or even perceive about you. And this is the thing about unconscious bias. Again, a lot of groups of physicians and residents I talk to get very defensive about this, but I will be the first to tell you the patient also has unconscious bias against you, or for you, depending on what his or her experiences with the healthcare system have been, and depending on what his or her experiences have been about people that look like you. So it goes both ways, and if we're not aware of it, We can't even begin to address how it's going to impact the clinical relationship, the bonding between the doctor and the patient, and subsequently the compliance of the patient with the drug regimen you give them or the treatment regimen or wound
1: care or whatever else you're going to discharge them with. So what can we do as providers to be more aware of this and to try to minimize its impact? So it's really
2: important to give patients permission to be who they are. To be aware of your unconscious bias and say, I'm going to stop and not assume. I am not going to walk in the room and see this Latina and assume she doesn't speak English. I'm going to fight against that. I'm going to go into the room and I'm going to ask the patient. I'm the student doctor. I'm the resident physician. I'm the attending physician, staff physician, supervising doctor, whatever I am. Starting right away with asking people, what would you like me to call you? right? Some people want to be called by their first names. I've had some older patients who have told me that my residents were awful, terrible, rude people because they walked in the room and called them by their first name. Now we have to be conscious of transgender issues too. What do you want to be called? But it's the same thing. There are certain cultural things. As a Latina, I would never call somebody who's like, you know, 70 years old by their first name. And yet my residents will go in and they'll do that. Elderly African-Americans, too, are used to be calling Miss Nancy, not Nancy. And so you can alienate the person even when you walk in the room. Ask the patient, what would you like to be called? What did you come to the hospital for? What are your expectations of the encounter? And the same thing when you are telling a patient about their disease. Start to explain things to them and ask them, do you understand? Do you have any questions? Everything should be open-ended. It takes longer, but you establish a better bond with the patient. You're more likely to have a compliant patient. Ask them if they have any questions. Ask them if they're comfortable with you examining them. All of these sort of open-ended things that give the patient a little bit more control over the clinical situation. And again, permission to be who they are and to tell you who they are. Questions like, you do drugs, don't you? You know, that's not an open-ended question. And you see this thing with drugs a lot. And I tell my students this all the time, not to think that you're a terrible doctor, but this is what happens. The student goes in and says, do you do drugs? And the patient goes, no. And then the student walks out and the patient thinks, yeah, you know, this wasn't so bad. The student doctor was kind of nice to me. And the resident doctor comes in and goes, do you do drugs? And the patient goes, well, yeah, I used to. And so then the resident doctor goes, okay, fine, you know, and is not judgmental and walks out. And then I come in later (laughs) on and I say, do you do drugs? Yeah, I smoked uh, some crack this morning. Well, I don't come out and tell the resident and the student they took a bad history because this is part of the process of giving patients permission. We create a safe environment for them. And as they start to realize it, they let us into their world more and more. And the next time that patient comes to your emergency department, now they've had a positive experience and their unconscious bias is to feel comfortable with your emergency department and comfortable with the staff there. And so they will be more forthcoming right away. And so you can actually, by being open and being accepting, you can
1: change that patient's entire relationship with the healthcare system. And it's interesting because as emergency physicians, we're so into the medicine of it so we make big decisions, mm-hmm. big and backful, bloody decisions all the time. And I think we forget that we're also a service industry and that we have a clientele that we should try to adapt to and also to, you know, make comfortable with us in a way that gives them better care. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and for us too, it's much harder
2: because we don't have a panel of patients that come to see us all the time. If you don't get that patient in the first, I would say 90 seconds is even an exaggeration. If you don't get that patient within the first 60 seconds to believe that you are there for them and that you want to help them and that you do care about them, you've lost it. It's going to be over. There's almost no way to repair that later on. So you have to go in with this accepting attitude. And if the patient... Has an unconscious bias against you, you know, that's a whole like hour and a half discussion <laughs> about how to deal with that because some patients do. I don't want this kind of a doctor. I don't want this color doctor. I don't want this gender doctor. And that's a whole other issue. But the thing is, if you go in and you establish for the patient, I'm here for you, I actually care about your needs. I want to help to meet your needs. Why are you here today? What is it that you hope to accomplish? What do you want to get out of this encounter? Giving the permission to the patient to be who they are, showing them that you really care about them. That's the key to having a successful interaction. And again, to changing their relationship with the healthcare system. We have lots of patients who are loyal to charity hospital because they've always been well-treated when they came. And they continue 30 years, 40 years, and they say, I'd never go to any other hospital. There are also patients who come in who have to come in because they have crushing chest pain, and they've been treated horribly by the healthcare system, and they're angry and upset that they had to come. But you have a chance to change that patient's relationship with the healthcare system by showing them that you care about them and by really being open and allowing them to voice who they are.
1: And this conversation is so important, not just professionally in the ER, but also it applies very well personally (laughs) too. Mm -hmm. But I do want to, you know, close with any lasting thoughts from you because you've given us so much food for thought on thinking back on how we interact with patients. And I think just people in general too, in terms of our unconscious bias, is there uh, anything you'd like to close with? This has been a fantastic talk, I think, and very eye-opening.
2: No, thank you. I think the most important thing is to recognize that we all have unconscious bias, not to try to walk around and deny it, but to say, I do have unconscious bias. I'm going to take the effort to find out what my unconscious bias is, whether by taking the implicit bias test online or by doing some reading and exploring that and be honest with ourselves and know what our biases are. And then to realize, again, like you say, it's, it's really true. It's not just about who you are as a doctor, because your greatest tool as a doctor is who you are as a person. The CAT scanner does its job and the lab does <laughs> its job, but you bring yourself. And that's a combination of your medical knowledge, which we all can acquire, and a combination of that and who you are as a human being. And if each of us tries every day to be a better person, to really, really try, and I know this sounds corny, but I say this a lot because I believe it. We need to bring love and kindness into the lives of our patients. If your patient feels that you love them, that you care about them, that you really want to be kind to them, you and the patient are going to have a satisfying relationship. And I think we have to do that. And that's one of the things, again, that I love about AAM. AAM says medicine is not a business. Medicine should not be a corporate medical group. Medicine should not be an industry. Medicine is a contract between the board-certified emergency medicine specialist and our emergency patient. And if we bring our best person to that relationship, we show the patient, I'm not here working for a company. This is not a job. This is not an industry. I am your doctor, and I'm here because I care about you, and I want to make your life better then the whole healthcare industry would be better if it wasn't an industry. The whole healthcare system (laughs) would be better if everybody did what AAM believes instead of turning this into an industry and a business. It's not. Healthcare is a human right and human beings have the right to be treated by a board-certified emergency physician.
1: Who cares about them?
2: (laughs) And that's the bottom line.
1: Well, Dr. Lisa Morano-Walton Again, thank you for coming and being on our podcast and coming and sharing your love and kindness with (laughs) us and our listeners. And again, so lucky to have you on our podcast. And thanks for giving us so much food for thought. Thank you so much. I'm
2: very lucky to be a member of AAM and I'm very lucky to be an emergency physician. So that is what I think my blessing is. And thank you for listening to me talk about things I think are important to emergency medicine. Absolutely. Thanks a lot.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, please visit our website www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.